this week at Common Sense with Paul Jacob. That's at thisiscommonsense.org. Paul Jacob wrote five pieces. These five pieces are, on Monday, Sorosian Justice. And that's a picture of George Soros on the top there. That's the uh, rather maligned and uh, frightening figure of George Soros. On Tuesday, the 19th, it was Starbucks Gets Out. Paul's a big fan of Starbucks, and he keeps track of the big stories coming out of that big company. On Wednesday, it was two shooters at a gun-free zone, and you know exactly what that one's about, though you may not know the point. On Thursday, it was Delivering to Evil. That's July 21st, Delivering to Evil. And Friday, it was a mad cycle. And that has guns there, too, so we're back to the gun subject. So this is the weekend podcast for the weekday program. The podcast is called This Week in Common Sense, and it's for the week of July 18th through the 22nd. You know, we had a, uh, a quote this week, one of our thoughts of the day, by C.S. Pierce, Charles Sanders Pierce, that I liked because so often in my life, I've heard people talk about communism and say, well, it's good in theory, but in practice, it doesn't work. And of course, if things don't work in practice, then the theory about them isn't very good either. And, and uh, Mr. Pierce says, true science. Oh, no, this is, this is the wrong one. Ah, how did that happen? That's the wrong one. I, yeah. And it isn't even the right guy. I, I mean, I mean, Pierce is okay, but I was actually talking about Arthur Lantham Perry. These three named people, they all they all look alike. There anyway, you are. Yeah. Um, it's Arthur Latham Perry. Latham? What did I say? Lantham? Yeah. There's no N I in there. I gave him an N. I gave him an N in there. But he said a theory that does not work well in practice is a bad theory. The way to tell whether a theory is good or bad is to test it by practice. So I'm sorry to say that for my uh, communist friends, but uh, communism is not a good theory and it's not good in practice. I agree. And I guess I should, just for the record, uh, correct you on the pronunciation of C.S. Purse's name, too. It's Purse. Purse? Yes. It looks like Pierce. Isn't well, it spelled it's e -I. Pierce? It's E-I-R-C-E. Oh. You know, it, it's funny. Um uh, I've said it like every podcast since I've started wearing, you know, actually like glasses that you don't get at the Dollar Tree. Um, I, I have mentioned how I can't see if I don't have my glasses. I can't see anything up close anymore. And I used to be able to kind of squint and tell what things were. But it's like it is amazing uh, just how bad my eyesight has gotten. So that's too bad. Have that you thought about getting LASIK surgery? You know, I would like to get that. Uh, my dad got that, I think, in his 70s. And uh, he had gotten to the point where he just didn't read much anymore. Because and I remember, I, uh, you know, I'd say, oh, I think I'm going to get dad this book for Christmas or something. And my mom would say, oh, no, he's not reading anymore. And it was just, you know, his eyes weren't good enough. And he hated glasses, kind of like me. We get frustrated with things like that. And uh and then all of a sudden it was like, uh, hey, you should get him a book. And I was thinking, I thought he couldn't see. And he could see again. So that's pretty amazing stuff. It is. It is. 
I'm not eligible for it. They won't perform the surgery on me. So there you go. Why not? I only have one eye. They always know that they can foul things up and make it bad for you. They're always willing to risk it on two-eyed people. But if with one eye only working for me, they won't risk it. I like both of my eyes. I'm all of a sudden more nervous <laughs> about LASIK than I was. But, well, we should, uh, I kind of wanted to run through uh, our five commentaries this week uh, fairly quickly and, and uh, emphasize two of them that had to do with, uh, with guns. And then uh, finish with one that had something to do with uh, transparency, privacy, anonymity, and a totalitarian world. So uh, how's that for foreshadowing as we get to the end? But we started out the week with Sorosian justice, question mark. That question mark that pulls people in. What are they talking about here? (laughs) And... uh, uh, this was a piece talking about Chesa Bodine, uh, who got kicked out of uh, being the DA in San Francisco, and um, and just this whole effort to basically make uh, justice social justice. And you know the old-fashioned way was well, when somebody does something wrong, you punish them. You imprison them, you fine them, you do something that causes them, you know, not to want to do that again. Uh, And of course, libertarian types, some other folks have talked about things like restitution, which I think would be great because it would help the victim. And I think it would also connect the criminal with a real sense of justice that, hey, you know what, you did harm this person. That's not a good thing. So uh, I'd love to see moves in that direction. But instead, we have moves in the woke direction, in the direction of, well, you know, maybe we ought to let criminals go free because they've had a rough life or whatever. And, uh, and it has led to a lot of crime. And, and I'm sure there will be people who would dispute that. That's not what's caused the crime wave. But boy, it's sure, you know, when you see people on television who walk into stores and just carry out racks of clothes and other uh, luxury items and so on with no repercussions. I think that sends a message to young hoodlums. And I used to be sort of a young hoodlum, maybe not so much a hoodlum, but, but uh, anyway, well, (laughs) some, some people might disagree, but, uh, but I was young once. And I think that that is, uh, is not a good example. And human beings follow examples Human beings model their behavior on the behavior they see, and it's a real problem. And one of the reasons we mentioned George Soros here is there's always a lot of disagreement about what he's funded or not funded. But as we point out in this piece, which I encourage you to go to thisiscommonsense.org and read it, uh, links always, and uh, to find out more, is that he has a PAC that he contributes to that did fund the defense of that recall, (laughs) not very effectively, because he was recalled big time. And uh, we've written about it before. Uh, The recall process is, I think, just essential. And especially in a place like California, where, where, you know, we've got a lot of elected officials who have gone crazy, even by far left uh, voters' views, uh, the recall is essential. 
we don't have a recall system for our federal representatives, do we? There no, no, there's no recall. There's actually a, uh, at least one state, Arizona, that has a state law on the books to recall federal officials. But I'm pretty convinced that any time it would be put into use, they would go to federal court and the federal court would say, no, 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 you, you don't have that ability to do that, uh, which is unfortunate. It may be the right uh, uh, separation of powers way to do it. But by golly, we actually need a federal government that also listens to people. <laughs> Not, I guess I shouldn't say it that way because most state governments don't listen very effectively to their state uh, constituents and uh, the people and the feds don't either. But we need a recall at all levels. And, you know, I, I suspect that sometime in human history, there is a recall where an official was recalled and didn't deserve it. But boy, I've yet to see one. And uh, and so, you know, it's and a lot of these recalls, I remember years ago, the mayor of Miami was recalled and the recall vote was 90 percent. Yes. Recall him. Get him the heck out of there. And, you know, if if uh, if the voters are in charge, you have to have the ability to fire the guy who's working for you. It's one of the nice things about democracy. And in fact, I was yammering about it on Facebook just today. The real most obvious good thing about democracy is peacefully removing people from power. And recall is just another way of doing democracy, the most important job democracy can do. And it's another it's another method of doing it. And it's not used enough, in my opinion. Yeah, boy, I'm with you 110 percent on that. Ludwig von Mises is the one who really originally stressed it, as far as I could tell, that getting people out of power was the was the primary purpose of democracy. And Karl Popper, the philosopher, reiterated that point. It's why uh, Washington stepping down after two terms as president is so consequential for the history of this country. And it's why uh, Mr. Trump not leaving office in the way and in the in the attitude and manner uh, and decorum that he should have left uh, is so troublesome. Tuesday, we had a piece on Starbucks, my secret, not so secret addiction. It's not very um, secret. No, it's not. I know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, before I told everyone, it was. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, and it's funny because I had a friend the other day say, you know, I really don't like their coffee. And I said, I don't either. I, and I don't know that I've ever had their coffee. I don't like coffee. I like espresso. And I like particularly the flat white. So I'm sort of addicted to flat white. I'm trying to, you know, kind of control myself and just have one a day instead of two. And if I'm working around the clock, sometimes three, which is really way, way too many, both, both on the pocketbook and probably on the uh, ticker here. So Starbucks which has been kind of a woke company at times, uh, had some ridiculous things where I remember years ago when they, they were going to have the baristas uh, have a conversation about race with people. And of course, I go to Starbucks pretty much every day and I never heard anyone have a conversation. I mean, I think that was somebody in corporate thought they were going to have a conversation about race every day. I mean, people are talking about the weather or the ball game or, you know, and one of the nice things about Starbucks for me is uh, they seem to find a lot of young people 
who are bright and hardworking and you see them learn the job and they, and, you know, it's just kind of fun to get to know them. And uh, it's a, it's a nice break for me. People have said, well, you know, why don't you probably be cheaper to just get a machine at home? That's not the point. That's not, you know, there's more to it than just the flat white. Although, gosh, I love the flat white, but anyway, uh, but it's the, it's the environment that they've created. And I give the young people who work there a lot of credit, but I give Starbucks a lot of credit for finding those young people and creating that atmosphere. Cause it doesn't, doesn't happen by accident. Uh, but with all their wokeness. And of course they had the incident in Philadelphia years ago where uh, there were two black guys who were there I guess they didn't buy anything, but they wanted to use the restroom. It turned out they were waiting for someone who were, they were going to meet there and, and they called the police on them and the police came and removed them. It was a big brouhaha and uh, Starbucks behaving badly. And, my local, the guy that uh, is a friend of my daughter's who I, I uh, uh, knew fairly well from homeschool stuff who worked there, he was livid because he had this ethic that Starbucks is open to everybody. I mean, he was, he was into that and he was very disappointed that they treated those people that way. And I, I kind of had some qualms about that, but I like the fact that he had an ethic about you know, what, what, you know, policy they should have and how they should treat anybody who comes in and so on. Well, problem is sometimes when you allow anyone to come in, people who are not good people come in and do things in bathrooms that nobody wants anyone to do in a bathroom they're ever going to go in, use drugs. And I think I'll just stop there and not imagine any other things that they could do. Uh, so, this is a problem. And of course, it creates an environment in which people don't feel safe going there. They don't feel safe, especially working there. And Starbucks did the right thing and realized, look, this is not, uh, you know, we wanted to be the company that opened the doors to everybody. We don't want to be that company anymore because it turns out that company is not a fun place to go get coffee or to work at making coffee for other people. Now, these places were, was it Seattle and Everett? I knew that, but also several places back east. Was it Philadelphia? Yeah, Philadelphia. There were, I believe there are uh, maybe a dozen stores in Philadelphia that they were closing. So quite a few. And, and one of the things they pointed out here is that these were profitable stores. You know, Starbucks, every place that I'm, you know, they're constantly putting a little Starbucks someplace and then the traffic is everywhere. Um, these are profitable locations. So they didn't close them because they were losing money. They closed them in spite of the fact that they were making money because they're not safe. And I, I remember many years ago, I think we did a common sense about it when it, uh, I believe it was Pizza Hut that was fined for refusing to deliver pizzas to certain areas. I don't know if it was in New York City or what major metropolitan area it was, but years ago there was a, uh, some sort of lawsuit against, I think it was Pizza Hut, I could be wrong, uh, but some pizza place because they weren't going to deliver in certain neighborhoods. They didn't want their people to be beaten up or killed. Now, I don't think that's really an evil thing. And of course for the company, Maybe they'd make more money if they just put their drivers at risk. 
that's not what we want companies to do. So uh, here it's just totally sensible on Starbucks part, maybe a little bit late, but totally sensible. And, uh, and, you know, uh, Howard Schultz, who's uh, the CEO again and was before and then flirted with an independent run for president, um, he made the essential point, which was government is supposed to be protecting people from this sort of behavior. And where they don't, corporate interest, everyday social interests, we have to. And that increasingly, I think, you know, so often, I think libertarians are kind of given this moniker of not into community. But all of us, even if we live in a rural community, we live in communities, we live around other people. We don't want to be totally alone. And, and if we do, fine, that's, that's good too. But most people, like 99.9%, like to live around other people. And we have to take more responsibility for our society, for the world around us, for fixing problems and not always looking to government to do something. Because oftentimes when they do something, the problem just, you know, got twice as bad. Well, it was a big story. Uh, and it's been talked about a lot, actually, surprisingly, uh, that Schultz story. Uh, I'd forgotten that Schultz had tried to run for the presidency. That's something I had forgotten completely. Um, he's not somebody I've seen him before, and I'm, he's not somebody that I really think very highly of. I guess he always comes across as, well, you know, like most Democrat politicians do. He reminds me of Mitt Romney somehow. He's got that kind of corporate leader, you know, very smooth, very. But I'll tell you, I think he scared Democrats a lot. I have a friend who's a Democrat who just was living. In fact, he didn't want to. We 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 meet at Starbucks sometimes. He wasn't so sure he wanted to go to Starbucks anymore. I said, well, he's no longer a CEO. But they were so, I think, afraid of him running as an independent. Because from a social issue standpoint, he was very much a liberal. But from more economic and and you know, kind of common sense police issues, those sorts of things, he would, I think he would be in a better position than a lot of Democrats are. And I think they were scared that if he ran as an independent, he'd siphon enough votes uh, that the Republicans would have a better shot. Of course, then I think, I think Hillary ran against Trump and uh, <laughs> all bets were off and the rest is history. Well, uh, almost like an alternative history from some weird, creepy uh, uh, science fiction novel. Yeah. That would be interesting to write, you know, to, to after every presidential election, wait four years and then write the alternative four years. That would have happened if the other person had won. Maybe. I don't Maybe. think I'm going to do it, but. Yeah, you know, that's something to do in your retirement. Yes. Yes. When I retire, I'll be so old when I retire. I'm not sure I'll have quite the energy, but excuse me, but I'll go get a flat white and that'll that'll pet me up. By the way, a point of um, information. What's in a flat white? You call it espresso. That's always coffee to the nth degree to me. But what's else in it? Well, here's the deal. And I don't you know, I don't understand all the science of it, but there's two things to the flat white that that are essential. One, it's it's ristretto is what they call it. And it's a way to, they somehow uh, extract from the, from the coffee beans in such a way that they don't get 
as much of the bitterness. And I always, for years, I would get a mocha because I needed something to cut the bitterness. I, a lot of times, you know, sometimes I would get a shot of espresso. I like espresso. It's bitter, but I like it, but I'd need something sweet to, to, to eat with it. Uh, and somebody suggested, you know, the flat white and I tried it and it was almost sweet. There's no sugar in it. There's milk. And of course there's some natural sugar in milk, but, um, but there's no added sugar in it. And of course, so it was a huge calorie reduction when I switched from mocha to the flat white. And, uh, but, but it also is, it's mixed with steam milk, but it's not the kind of fluffy, uh, bubbly cappuccino. It's, it's much more melded together and it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. My kids get such a kick out of me. Uh, sometimes if I, if I'm going to have a really busy day and, and, uh, I, I think that I'm not going to be able to make it back to Starbucks, but I want two flat whites, I will get two flat whites. And I love it because one of the saddest moments is when it's like almost gone and you realize, oh, no, I'm almost out of flat white. And if you get two, it's like all morning. You've got plenty. You're loaded. And so I told him, it's like I take a sip of one. Oh, that's so good. Take a sip of the other. Oh, that's so wonderful. And they just cracked up. But they think their dad's very silly and they have a point. But but anyway, it's a wonderful drink in terms of being pretty low cal, the milk has all the calories, uh, but it's, it's coffee. It's, it's not really coffee. It's an espresso drink. That's not bitter. That just doesn't have any of the bitterness. And so it's, it's just uh, magnifico. So I'm going to pretend that my love of Thai iced tea is a similar thing. It might be. If you love it that way, it is. Maybe. Okay. Anyway, uh, you wrote three other pieces this week. Well, two shooters in a gun-free zone, which this title underwent many revisions, and I again have to give you the, the title of best title writer ever, uh, because you came up with the final title here. But this is about what happened in the Indianapolis Mall. Uh, and what's the guy's name? Uh, Elijah Dickens, who has interestingly not wanted to get any publicity. I have not seen his face uh, or heard his voice on any news broadcast or anything else, but, uh, but it, he really proves the insanity of gun-free zones because what better place to shoot a bunch of people and not be shot yourself than a gun-free zone. And we see again and again, these mass shootings taking place in gun-free zones, you know, putting a sign up is not the same as having someone like Elijah Dickens who has a gun and can say, stop or I'll shoot. Um, and, you know, if everybody were bad, well, then it'd be a very dangerous place if everyone had a gun. But since most people are good, it's actually a safer place when there are more people who are armed. And it's interesting that he may have violated the law in saving a bunch of people's lives by killing this shooter. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons he, uh, it was suggested in one article I read that he hasn't been looking for publicity is that he said he's still processing what happened. You know, killing somebody is no fun. 
And, uh, and you can, I can't imagine, well, I can imagine, I can't empathize, but I can sure sympathize that that's gotta be heart wrenching. And, and even when you know you did the right thing, you just hate to relive that again and again. And you know, any thoughtful person is going to relive that again and again. Three things. His first name, Elijah is spelled funny. And it is funny. And his last name is in the singular. It's Dickens, not Dickens. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, though, I went um, I went to hear his name again because I thought it was Elijah. But when I saw how funny it was written, I uh, I I wanted to hear it. So I heard it, Elijah. OK, but then they said Dickens and I saw one article where it had an S on it. So I originally thought I saw another article where it didn't. So, yeah, I don't know. Misreporting it. They may not even be trying to get it correct. He may not be thrilled about how ever be able to drill down to where he lives. <laughs> I can imagine that, you know, he might want to call himself uh, um, Elijah Trollope or Elijah Thackeray, another <laughs> another 19th century British novelist. Um, but uh, the other is that the the law that you said he may have broken is merely the mall's uh, posted gun-free zone um, notice. It's not really a law as such. And they would be insane. The, the corporate corporation would be would be insane to to try to prosecute them uh, for for that for right. that infraction of their rule. That would be just really dumb. I don't think the mall really wants to talk a lot about their gun free zone because obviously, uh, in fact, we have a comment. This this there's two comments that are interesting, uh, but one of them was from Daniel Kean McKiernan, who made the case that if a business advertises gun free zone but doesn't prevent gunmen from coming in and shooting a bunch of people, maybe there's a tort liability here because they've advertised, they promised something that they can't deliver. So once again, they're in the position that, you know, that schools and other places are uh, courtesy of Joe Biden, who was the one who, who cooked up this whole lot thing. In fact, we live in the age of bad Joe Biden policy. It's true. I mean, his criminal justice stuff uh, is is the law and has been one of the biggest problems in the last few decades. And and the gun free zones. I mean, he's he's had more impact as a legislator than most legislators uh, that you know of. Uh, unfortunately, it's all been negative. And he was awful on the Clarence Thomas hearings. So, yes, awful, awful, in, his... awful in both directions. Yeah, it was very weird. I, the I left hates him for it, and the right hates him for it too. And it wasn't because he was even handed; it's because he's a he's a big time phony loser. But um, you know, that's that's the kind of people we have as president. Uh, so he, you know, uh, the interesting thing though, uh, and and one of the reasons I think that I was of the mind that you know he had violated the law, and of course I know he he didn't actually violate a law, but there was all kinds of Twitter, you know, traffic saying that that he should be prosecuted, you know, that they should go after him because and it's like, you know, really, this is this is who we need to go after the guy who saved a bunch of lives. But that's usually from the nutty left. I mean, they really are committed. There are some you'll always find somebody committed to the nutty version of the position that can be had, right? Any position, there is going to be the nutty version of it, and you're I always going to find somebody. I want that potato chip. Yeah, and that is the whole, <laughs> I tell you, that is about as good a potato chip as you're going to find. That is a perfect potato chip. 
anyway, <laughs> it's a it's a jalapeno uh, potato chip, is it yes. not? And I and I'm not regretting it yet. <laughs> well, we also had Friday's piece that was about uh, guns and a mad cycle is the name of it. You can go read it at thisiscommonsense.org. And and we we just looked at the this regular cycle of, you know, we're going to, um, you know, first some young man shoots a bunch of people, which is not good. And then uh, the media goes apoplectic, apoplectic and, uh, and wants this to be the focus for everyone. We must do something. We need common sense gun control laws. And what they, what they almost never say is we need a complete ban on all guns. But that's always how they treat any sort of change will solve the problem completely. And they always act like we know how to solve the problem. It's just that Republicans and a lot of people out there who own guns and believe that's essential to having self-defense, both against criminals and against the state, if it gets too big for its britches, as uh, we used to hear when we were kids, um, but that somehow they're in the, the hooks of the gun lobby. And, uh, and this is, it's repeated ad infinitum. And, and of course, then something is, is done, some bill is pushed, and oftentimes it goes nowhere. This time the bill passes. So the problem's over, right? No, the problem hasn't been touched. And as we point out in this piece, um, the, the truth is they did things like Republicans got on board because it would make even stronger penalties against felons found in the possession of a gun. And of course, you can argue that we should have stronger penalties against felons found in the possession of a gun. But it seems like we already have pretty strong penalties for that. And of course, the shooting at the Uvalde school and the shooting in Indianapolis, these are not felons. These are very, very troubled and troublesome young people. These are mental health problems more than anything. And there was, I think, some additional money for mental health stuff. Maybe that makes some sense here. At least, it, at least it's applied to, you know, the problem. But so often, I say so often, always, it seems like the laws that they propose to, to that are common sense to stop these shootings, they then have to admit, if the media ever bothers, ask them a, a tough question, like, hey, would this have stopped the shooting that just took place? that you're using to justify this new law, the answer is always no, no. So that's, uh, go give it a read. And then let's talk about our, uh, our last piece, uh, delivering to evil. Not delivering from evil, delivering to evil. And this is a piece uh, talking about a Chinese dissident, an American citizen, uh, but who has written things 
about uh, China. Basically, this John Lee Yang uh, was in a Chinese prison for years. He gets to America uh, and he founds a group uh, which basically uh, works to point out the problem. It's, it's called Citizen Power Initiatives for China. And he's working to advance rights and democracy in China. And he has numerous supporters, some of them in China. And when he is required to publicize who donates, they can be clamped down in China. And so often people have this idea that we have to, we have to have sunshine. We have to know who is giving money to anything here, there, or anywhere. And the reason we have to do that is so that we can control big money. And I just submit that from the time we've started doing that to today, have we gotten more control over big money or less control over big money? I think it's less control. And it ignores some of the, some of the, the lessons of American history. There's a case, and, 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 uh, NAACP versus Alabama, uh, old case where the state of Alabama was trying to force the NAACP to release its donor list. Now, the argument would be, well, we need sunshine. We need to know who's contributing. Well, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, no, 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 because these people are going to be subject to all kinds of retribution, some of it potentially very violent. And so we have, and of course, this is a country where, you know, when, when the revolution was happening, all kinds of things were written anonymously. The Federalist Papers, which is kind of the, you know, the, the codicil to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and really the Constitution, not the Declaration. But anyway, I go on and on. But uh, it's a hugely important document. And of course, it was written by John Jay and Hamilton and Madison. But they didn't know that at the time. It was written anonymously at the time. And so anonymity is important. Protection for people. It's part of free speech. If you want robust debate, Sometimes you have to let people speak without being plastered all over social media or public media or whatever, so that they aren't threatened with their lives, because otherwise they shut up. And a society in which more and more people shut up is not a safe or a good society. And uh, we're, we're going to talk next week a little bit more about China and and what the U.S. is doing, because one of the things that broke this week was that uh, Biden suggested that Nancy Pelosi's uh, proposed trip to Taiwan isn't such a good idea right now. Um, and of course, he's got a call coming up with Xi Jinping, and there's all kinds of talk that he will stop the sanctions and the the uh, tariffs. And uh, we we have a real threat in China for the whole world. And the problem is the American people and I think the Chinese people and people everywhere are waking up to it. But our own leaders seem to be more enamored 
with the CCP and Xi Jinping and the communists than they are adversarial. Well, on that note, I think we can say good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to close us down soon? They close us down. They only give us 40 minutes nowadays. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been good for us, kind of. Yeah, it has. I think. You can find this podcast hosted in audio at soundcloud.com. You can find the video at rumble.com. And you can find it all through thisiscommonsense.org or most podcasters for the audio as well. And I'm going to go back to my potato chips. Tim's Cascade style jalapeno potato chips. That's the best thing that's ever been made in the potato chip line. It doesn't get much better than that.